Mindless Can, the podcast, with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. This week in the Kindness Can podcast, we sit down and chat with Adam Rogers, uh, the headmaster of Redemam Schlanger. We chat about uh, resilience as well as agility and opportunity in the face of a pandemic. We are coming to the end of our second term. In fact, we break up on Friday, having been on the most amazing roller coaster. So when I look back to this time at the end of the first term, we were just getting our heads around the fact that schools were about to close and that they were going to be shut, well, indefinitely. And we were going to take what we knew as normal school and it was now going to transition to online schooling. And in the last couple of days of our first term, we put our teachers and we were fortunate enough to have had a little bit of forewarning. So we had the students still at school. And so we were able to train them in this new, we've made use of the Google Meet platform, Google Suite. And so we were able to train our students, train our staff. And then they left at the end of the first term, not knowing what was going to happen because we then were going to start the second term completely online with teachers then leaving their comfort of the school building, the reassurance of having colleagues close at hand and close by to then going into their own homes and teaching uh, students individually in their own homes. And I have been so incredibly proud of the teachers who have made the quickest shift to a completely new world and new way of teaching so bravely, so positively, and at the same time with the most amazing challenges because, as you all will attest, we've also seen people working from home um, and attending to their own domestic needs. And so I'm proud from our staff point of view. And I'm equally proud from our students' point of view and how responsible they have been. Um, different schools have navigated their way through the online teaching process differently. We adopted the model whereby it was school as usual. So our students started every single day at the same time that they would start the normal school day. And they followed their normal school timetable at the times, going from lesson to lesson, logging into individual Google classrooms. And they've had to assignments to do and work to do, and they have appeared and they've pitched up and they've done what's required of them. And absenteeism, other than for a couple of computer glitches and connectivity issues, they have been there. They've turned up for every single lesson and they've fulfilled their education completely from their side. And so I can confidently say from our school's point of view that not a single minute has been lost of their education this entire term. And when I sit back now and reflect on that, it's the most awesome, awesome story that I'm completely in awe of that that could happen. I think the third person that jumps out for me as you're talking is that the resilience is often, is often learned through, through testing times. And I know as we start to go into the next phase of this roller coaster journey because that's emotionally really and practically what it's been for for so many of us in different and in similar ways a roller coaster but as we go into whatever the next phase is it's kind of reassuring to know that 
we've proven something to ourselves through all of this. We've proven something about our adaptability, about our agility, about our ability to, to hold all sorts of different feelings, some really hard and some really uncomfortable, but to still find a way to put one foot in front of the next. And I know Jane and I have had sometimes four, five conversations a day through this lockdown experience, going through the different emotions of that. And that's something that her and I have often spoken about, that oh, here we still sit, despite all of that. Yeah, we still sit. I think for me, when I hear, you know, the way you chat, Adam, it fills me with such pride, not only for the staff and for the pupils, but also for the parents. Because I know as well that, you know, the backbone of the appearance of the students is those parents. And overnight, they've had to take all their fears and uncertainty and plug it into an online portal and just have blind faith that it's all going to work out. (laughs) And that's while trying to resuscitate a business while trying to show up for a business, while trying to worry about how we're going to put a chicken on the table and make sure that our children aren't emotionally or socially um, affected by the impact of the words coming out of our president's mouth, like you will not embrace somebody when you see them. Because I mean, how counterintuitive is that? For me, as a human loving human, that's been one of the hardest things for me. So I just want to hold space for every single mom, dad, parent, carer, You've also showed up. And for that, I have to applaud you because I know that there's some days where I just have actually not been able to show up. And that's also okay. Yeah. Well, I think, Jane, if I could tell on the end there, what you're saying is that that line that you just said there at the end is so important for everyone in this conversation is that we've also learned that sometimes sitting with the hard and the uncomfortable is okay. We don't have to rush past that or rush through that. You know, there's a, there's a strong trend going into this whole experience. There was this existing strong trend around having to, to kind of snowplow the path of, of children's journeys as a way of kind of everything's got to be right and we've got to make sure everything's perfect because we feel nervous for them and we want everything to be right. And kind of COVID through and the national lockdown through this curveball where we had no choice. We, we couldn't do that. So much was taken out of our control. But we've kind of learned that sometimes that's okay. That sometimes sitting with the tough and the uncomfortable and the hard is okay. Sometimes there's value in it. And sometimes it's hard to see what the value is granted. But I can still sit with that. Uh, and I think that's quite, it's been quite a lesson for a lot of us. And, and I'm not taking away from where so many parents and young people and teachers are as we go into the next step. There's a lot of fear around all of this. But it is kind of reassuring to know that we, we've proven to ourselves that we can sit with some of that stuff and we can still continue to move forward with some of that stuff. Even if it's just someday saying, gosh, this is so hard. I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Uh, but sit with this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yes, for us, I think that the human connections have been made stronger um, because We've all, and that's exactly the same situation. So it doesn't matter what business you do. It doesn't matter what your current situation is. Everyone is battling. So um, people can identify with it. People can identify with fear. Um, There's a huge worry, financial worry, I think that many of our parents have had. And that's the other thing that I, um, and I hear what uh, Jane is saying, I'm also in awe of that. I know that many of our parents have been hit financially in a very, very big way. And they've had to prioritize and they've prioritized their children's education 
and they have um, that's where they put their money. And I think in some ways our teachers have also been acutely aware. Our teachers are incredibly grateful that their salaries have not been cut and that it hasn't changed their financial situation. And that's been brought about by the fact that those parents have prioritized, our parents have prioritized the paying of school fees. And I think that's also spurred them on. So there's a, there's a huge, yeah, there's a bit of a, a heavy weight of responsibility that our teachers have felt. But at the same time, there is gratitude. There's gratitude that their lives and their livelihoods have not been affected through the prioritization of our parents um, paying of school fees. That's what I also think has been so amazing is that through this time at home with our children, we really had the opportunity to see each other. And I don't just mean that um, in the, the pre-Easter, um, very rosy-tinted, I'm so grateful for this time with you as we run through the grass together. And, you know, it's all very romantic. And then all of a sudden Easter came and then the pressure was on to, okay, we've had our Easter holiday, let's move along. But what I mean in this particular instant is we've had time with each other to really see each other. Because usually we would shroud away from being with our children other than weekends. And now that we're in this together, so to speak, they're seeing us not always at our shiniest Saturday morning self or our Sunday, let's go and hit the pool or the beach. They're seeing us on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock sweating about how to get from A to B. May that be financial, may that be a logistical discussion, or for in our home, my husband um, is an essential service, as am I. So business has been as usual. So it's kind of navigating all those uncomfortable spaces. But what's been so of such a comfort to me is that we are role modeling, and Paul and I often talk about this, we are role modeling to our children that we never strive for perfection. We strive to navigate through the bumpy road, fall over, get back up, dust off and climb back on and keep plowing ahead. And I can only think that that is going to stand our children in such good stead, having been witness to real stuff within reason, obviously. But it seems like we've all grown in my home. I will never be the same. I'm forever changed after this experience. And I can honestly say that I think my children will look back on lockdown as being the best days of their lives. Why? Because they had their mom and dad at home. They had the attention, not always because we were juggling at some places and not always present, but they haven't been traumatized by this communal grief. Mm. What I love the most about what what Jane's saying, and and maybe I'm reiterating the same point again, I I don't wish this COVID-19 experience or the national lockdown on our lives by any means. Uh, Sometimes in life, you can't choose the weather. uh, You can't choose the things across your path. And sometimes those, the hardest things across your path, there's this opportunity in that to kind of learn and discover and see so much. And as we move through the different phases of this, I I think it's really important for us to, to hold on to some of those learnings. And what Jane is so importantly saying there on the raising children journey that for too long we have been glamorizing, prioritizing these perfect versions uh, of parenting and being adults. And it's creating the wrong impression for young people and for young parents um, entering into the job of it. Because The arena, the arena. <laughs> you can't step in with that kind of expectation because not only is it really unhealthy for, for us as adults, it's incredibly unhealthy for our children because they're measuring themselves up against 
that. They're setting themselves up for an idea that that's how life has to be. And it must be such a crushing moment to live under that anxiety and to live with the disappointment of not reaching that when that moment of disappointment eventually comes in your life. So COVID, letting your kids see you sweating under this and having to work through some of your own hard emotions. I don't wish those emotions. I don't wish that moment, but there's value in that because you have taught them that that is the reality. And whether you've acknowledged it or not, I hope that you'll acknowledge it when you hear me say this, that in you surviving it and working through it, you have taught them something so important that it is possible. And these are some different versions of doing it. And so that's a big takeaway for me out of all of this. And I think Jane's picking up on that really nicely as well. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, there's a degree of stoicism that's, and adaptability that I think that we've all gained from this, this whole experience. And yes, it's, it's bringing people closer, uh, definitely. And I really like that message about not being perfect. And I certainly, I was in awe of our students when our teachers, many of whom were, by their own admittance, technophobes, terrified once they left the school building and they were now alone in their houses. How were they going to now sort out all this <laughs> Dornisa technology? And it was the students, you know, who from afar were saying, no, ma'am, you're doing well. No, you're doing well. Keep going. Don't worry about it. Um, and when the microphone wasn't working and the camera wasn't working, they, the students were still troubleshooting from afar, talking their teachers through this process. But, you know, never once were they expecting the perfect lesson and never once were they expecting the teachers to give a perfect lesson. What they were appreciating and what you, I think, was echoing what you're saying is that they were turning up. So I think our students appreciated that our teachers were always there when the, and it was a constant. You knew that at that time your Afrikaans, your maths teacher was always there. And at the same time, by those students being in those classes at that time, was giving those teachers reassurance that those students were turning up. Um, and that's what it's been about. It's been about just turning up. Yeah. Participation. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think that's one of the greatest gifts to instill in a child. The fact that showing up and participating, that's the magic. That's worth everything. It's not always about getting it right or or being the best or or winning. Uh, Your success, and I know Jane will pick this up for me, but your success is about the, the pushing through the hard moments, the kind of, yeah, just being there and learning. And I think that's, as I'm hearing you talk, I, I kind of get goosebumps. I just feel so excited for your school community that that's been a feeling that's come out of this. I think that's magic. Yeah. This will exist everywhere except the side of the field on a parent's sports race day. <laughs> <laughs> because no parent lines up at sports day and wants to come second. I have seen things out there that will forever scar me. <laughs> no. And- that's, that's the interesting thing, of course, is that schools throughout this whole period and, and, and for the foreseeable future, all of those other funny things like about the winning rugby score or the winning this or the winning that, that's meaningless now. What, mm-hmm. what schools have, have been brought down to their essence is about good, solid teaching and relationships. And I think that's, that's what has carried us through here is that all the nonsense that sometimes goes with schools, you know, the flashy this, the boasting of the winning rugby first 15, and that's gone. So why, what, what have we got left? We've got left is 
to good, solid teaching and connections um, between teachers and students. That is what we have got left. And I think that is the mark of, of true excellence in education. Mm. We always say, what, same storm, different boat, hey? And that's really a phrase that certainly got us through here. And again, to the teachers, I've got a few friends that are teachers, and Paul and I actually did a podcast last weekend about just tipping our hat to educators because, man, my friends have been sweating. I mean, they've had tears down their faces as they talk about sidelining their own families in order to show up for that lesson, in order to adapt overnight, and in order to work until 11 o'clock at night and then get a phone call from their own child's teacher saying, your daughter's books are still at school. Who's going to collect them? You know, the teachers have really, really, I've seen it across the board, put other people's children so in their focus, which is hard for them as well because there's a whole lot of guilt that comes with that for them and their own domestic environment. Absolutely. You've, you've, you've hit it on the, yeah, you've hit it completely. I think what stands out for me, as Jane says that is, and, and listening to you, Adam, as well, about your experience and your school's community, your, the community's experience around this, is how, how effective and how valuable kindness and encouragement and connection and relationships are in making things work a whole lot smoother. And I know sometimes, you know, schools are made up of all sorts of different stakeholders who all have the same goal. They want to see young people be the best version of themselves. But in the past, in the anxiety of that, in the throes of that process and the panic of it, we know that the communication amongst those stakeholders has sometimes been tricky and difficult. And so maybe a takeaway from all of this is we, we kind of all need to respect each other's parts in this. And instead of being super critical of it the whole time, sometimes being more encouraging. I, I, and, and the kids maybe are teaching us more than anything. I love it when you were saying, they're saying, don't worry, ma'am, just push that button over there. <laughs> so being more supportive and gentle and kind with each other gets us through the hard times, gets us closer to our goal rather than pushing and being overly hard and competitive. Maybe that's a theme that's coming out of our our conversation here. And it's not to say that sometimes kindness isn't saying no or having a hard conversation. Of course it is. But sometimes approaching it from a different perspective, a less fearful, judgmental, critical perspective makes things flow easier for all of us. And we get closer to our, our result. Yeah. I think what we've also been quite mindful when chatting about preparing to go back to school is not kind of rushing over the fact that every person has had a different story, Mm. that being at home has not been safe at home for everyone, for an example. And it hasn't been easy for those kids that have struggled to show up or for the parent that struggled to show up, for their kid to show up or for that teacher to show up that there is, there is the sense of responsibility for us to also hold space for this experience because it has been a jarring one that came out of nowhere for us. And we are all forever changed. Some things that are enhanced that we hope won't live in a capsule that will take those learnings with us into the new normal as we lean into a new mold. But then also things that we hope that we never experience again because they were really difficult. So in talking about the judgment and the getting closer to the essence, it's also being mindful of holding space for different experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was definitely hearing from you, Paul, just being gentle 
I think we've learned to, to, to be gentler with each other, and that's what's got us through here. But um, I think we, in, in coming towards now the end of this term, which has been online, and now we're looking at the reopening of schools, it's anxiety. I think the anxiety is, is definitely there. I think there's confusion. You know, people are, are confused. You know, we closed schools when infection rate was less than 100, a very few deaths. We are opening schools at a time, in fact, I just saw yesterday that, was that, that we've just reached the 1,000 death mark, a fatality mark, and um, infections have never been higher and are climbing. And so we now the anxiety is real. In wanting to go back to school, what about my anxieties around infections? And as Jane was saying, every single child's story is different. Every single family's profile is different. Some are living with, um, not if, they don't, if they're not already living with their own health issues, they're living with someone with health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they're living with grandparents who got the age factor. How do you now come to terms with that anxiety and how do you make the right decision as to whether to go back into the building or not? And we've conversed about this quite a bit, haven't we, Paulie? And yeah. um, I think it really, when I hear you talk, I just think we need to be mindful of how we cast judgment on others. Because I think for a parent to decide to, to get your child into that car with their mask on to the front gate and then wave them goodbye, it's so counterintuitive as a mother to send your child into a, an environment that is so f- fear-driven for us. So I think we need to be very careful of how we speak to each other around big decisions like, are you sending your child to school? Aren't you scared of sending your child to school? But what about the infection rates? We've got to be so careful that we're not fear-mongering for each other. And going back to that word of being gentle. You know, if one family's decision is X, that doesn't mean that yours has to be. For example, my kids haven't gone back to school yet, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready to pour myself a gin and tonic. <laughs> I have three children under the age of nine, all sit at school, and I think we're sitting on day 80. You are amazing. Well, I have my times. Um, but, I, I think, but I think it's just being very mindful of how we articulate around our journey because that might not be the other family's journey and we wouldn't want to you know, throw a cat amongst the pigeons and derail there. This is the decision we've made. Oof, but do you have the so and so down the road? They're not doing that. Why? Why are they not doing that? No, man, that fiction. What? So it goes into how we speak to, to each other. It goes into what we decide to follow on social media. Like, what are you choosing to fill your head with? Are you going to be the person that wakes up during the night to see if the stats have moved? Or are you going to be a person that these are the facts and I'm going to trust the process? Wherever you peg yourself, I think we need to just be mindful that that is their decision and whatever we make shouldn't suggest otherwise for other people. Yeah, it's an incredibly personal decision. And I, and I think as a family, you've got to work it out for yourself. Uh, so it's almost three, three columns. The, the, and Jay and I spoke about this in, in a previous podcast as well. The first column is what, what are the, some of the things that we feel afraid of uh, in this decision? Okay. How do we mitigate some of those fears? So if we were to put them on a scale from zero to 10, and then we work from there, what are some of the things that I can put in place to to mitigate or lessen some of these fears? And then in the third column, what are some of my fears if I don't go with this decision? What would be lost or what would I lose out on? And you kind of map that out for yourself and visually represent it and look at it and, and weigh it up for yourself. So in our home, we're afraid that our children are going to bring it home 
and that could be risky to a grandparent who's staying here. So how do we mitigate that? Can we bring that down from a nine out of 10 to a three out of 10? How do we do that? And then if we didn't send our child back to school, what would they be losing? Uh, and so you kind of then get a visual representation and you, you weigh it out for, for yourself. But for each family, that's, that's got to be a different decision because there are all sorts of factors at play here. So take the time to engage in that kind of process. Make it for yourself. Hold on to the fact that no decision is cast in stone. So if you decide not to go back and three days in, three weeks in, you kind of change your mind, that's absolutely okay and, and vice versa. But most importantly, you've got to take that process a step further. And depending on your child's age, you've got to talk to them about this also. Try to understand their thoughts and their feelings around all of this so that you can be giving them solid information, not just as a way of solving the problems for them, but also helping them label and understand some of their feelings around this. And we always talk about start with a feeling, get your child into the habit of, I feel anxious, I feel anxious about this, and then you go into the process of, I understand that anxiety, I thought about it as well, these are some of the things that I'm doing to help me, or these are some of the things that I know the school have started to put in place to help you, and how does that make you feel? But having those conversations with our kids is so important, we can't be making this decision in isolation and then just sending them on, Mm. because that's going to feel very overwhelming for them. Yeah. And also being very mindful that the way you speak about the pandemic at home yeah. is obviously going to set them up as the narrative for the conversation. So, you know, we talk about, Paulie and I spoke about recently about, you know, allowing your child to feel like an agent in their own life. You know, we make these decisions so that I can keep myself safe and keep you safe, not because if I get corona, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of taking, the, the again, the fear-mongering out of it and empowering your child in a way that they're not governed by fear, but they're rather governed by very logically being able to label a feeling and being able to put systems in place that can support that feeling. Spot on. Uh, so here's a moment. We, we're teaching our kids EQ through this very hard and testing moment. And this is where great EQ development happens because the conversation goes like this. You feel nervous that someone's going to come close to you and you're going to get coronavirus. That's what your child is thinking. This is what they tell you. Okay, so you start by saying, you feel scared. I understand that feeling. Okay, but this is what you can do to help yourself both prevent that reality. Okay, I'm giving you tools. We're identifying tools that you can do to keep you safe. And if you are stuck with that feeling, this is what you can do in that moment to help you with that feeling. And if it does happen, okay, this is what you're going to do in, the, in that moment. You're going to go and talk to a teacher about it. You're going to talk to me when you get home. And we're going to deal with it. Because in reality, these things might sometimes happen at school. Uh, and you shouldn't, it's not the end of the world as much as we don't want it to happen. It's not the end of the world. We'll be able to know what to do next if it does happen. So we're kind of giving them tools and reassurance around this not sending them off there, scaring the life out of them, that if anyone touches you, it's the end of the world because it, that's only going to create a performance anxiety for them. They're going to be so terrified that they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So don't think that scaring your child is going to get them to follow the rules better. 
It's yeah. better to kind of explain why the rules are important, okay, and give them tools to be able to, to stay within those rules better, but also know that if something happens, rather tell me, let's talk about it, and we'll make a plan together. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the things that I've taken from what you've just said is starting with choice, you know, exercising choice, and we are so blessed in our particular case in this um, independent school where we have got the IT infrastructure to be able to now morph into what's termed the hybrid approach to teaching and learning with some in the classroom and some still at home. So we are blessed to have choice in our particular model of education and that parents with their children are empowered to make a choice and to make a choice, as you said, if you, you can choose to stay online or you can choose to come back to the school. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is, for me, that sticks out in what you said is trust and responsibility. Trust that there are people in place at the school who have put into place the necessary precautions and procedures um, to not only facilitate the continuation of your education in the building, but also to save your life, potentially. So you've got to be able, there's got to be some sort of trust um, that you are handing over to people um, to do the job in your in your interests, and then likewise, it boils down to individual responsibilities, and um, that you are responsible not only for yourself but also those around you. And of course, the real South African Ubuntu comes to to being here, probably never more than any other time. Right now, it is about a community decision because you can't act selfishly and go about trying to live your life that you did before Corona, or just ram-roading your way back into the school building and say, damn it, I'm not going to follow any procedures or protocols because you are going to be responsible for other people's um, well-being. And so responsibility and a sense of community uh, needs to continue when they return back to school too. Yeah, I think the science around some of the precautionary measures that are being put in place, are, are there's so much mixed research about it. So it stands to reason that some people believe that bit of research and some people think, well, that precaution doesn't make sense and I don't buy into it. And of course you're entitled to that opinion, but the reality at the end of the day is rules exist sometimes for a reason. And sometimes rules are blanket to cover a wide range of, of scenarios and protect a whole bunch of different people. So you personally might not see the value in, for example, wearing a face mask if there is space between you, but your children are going to have to wear a face mask when they go back to school. So it's far more useful to kind of work with the system and use language around your children, which is supportive of it. Uh, you don't want to be filling them up with, this is so ridiculous and it doesn't make sense because they're only going to get a resistance to it, which is going to get them into trouble uh, and makes the whole thing even more complicated than it has to be. So that trust is important, that schools are doing the best that they can to keep everyone as safe as possible. And so these are the rules we've put in place, guided by research that's been passed down to us, guided by policy which is given to us by, by government and decisions made by independent schools boards. And that's what we all kind of have to, yeah, adhere to uh, as best as we can because we are in this together. We're not in this as individuals. I think as always, the, the kids are looking at the grown-up in the room. And never has that been more laced with responsibility of not always having the answers, but accessing choice in order to be a part of the bigger picture. 
And it's crazy that it's taken something like a pandemic. I mean, I still find it as the words come through my mouth, like we're living through a pandemic. I mean, this is things that people read about in history. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's a mind blow that we are part of history, mm. but let's also be a part of history that we can say that we were fighting for the right side of the war, not pulling against it. Yeah, absolutely. So what would your advice be to those who are facing disappointment? Um, because we think, for example, well, in particular, of our matric students, not necessarily of our own school, but of all schools, who have been waiting for this moment. This is their final year. Everything of their 12 years of formal education uh, culminates in your matric year. You've been looking forward to matric dances. You've been looking forward to rugby seasons. You've been looking forward to so many things. And with the passing of time since the closure of school, how do you come to terms with the fact that it hasn't turned out the way that you had hoped? And how do you come to terms with that without becoming bitter? Mm. But I think, I mean, I'll let Paulie, uh, you know, answer from a psychological standpoint, but I mean, how like life? I mean, how like life do we go into something with such hope and expectation and it's nothing like it seemed? And I'm sure there've been disappointments along the road getting to this space, but nothing probably seems as unfair as like running a marathon and getting to the end and they kick the water over. It's like, gosh, I'm parched. I'm exhausted. This is all I've been living for. Now there's no water. So I get you. And Paulie, maybe you can navigate how we turn the disappointment into learning as opposed to turning the disappointment into bitter and twisted resentment. That's yeah. it. That's it. But I think Jane is, is spot on. And it's a, I remember getting this piece of advice from my, from my grandfather growing up and, and always feeling like a sense of that's not a cool thing to say. And yet here I catch myself saying it. (laughs) He often used to say to me, life is unfair. And kind of you've got to get used to that. And it's a hard piece of reality to accept because there sometimes is injustice in the world. And it doesn't mean that we just have to accept it always and kind of hold on to it as, well, this is just the way it's got to be. You, You work to change it sometimes and you work to be part of the solution and you try to improve your life all the time, but there are going to be some moments that are just hard along the journey. And I suppose what he was trying to teach me is that the sooner you accept that, the sooner you will be able to, to be open to them and then to have the resources to know what to do in those moments. So it is harsh advice. It's hard advice to, to hear, but it's, it's all part of that EQ learning, I suppose. But I, I think for the grade 12s, and maybe I should have started with this rather than that, that harsh nugget there, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is to make space for two things. The, the first is, this is a loss. And like any other loss in your life, start by acknowledging it. Uh, start by giving it a name. Uh, start by holding it uh, and making space for it. Uh, in your life, that it, it matters and it hurts and it's been disappointing. Uh, and those feelings are all real uh, and they matter. But at the end of the day, I also have a choice uh, of what I want to do with those feelings because I am an agent for change uh, in my life. I don't have to be a leaf on the river. So these are my feelings. Well, this is my reality and these are my feelings but I'm going to choose what I do with those feelings. And part of that is, is making space for them. So have a good cry, 
have a good screen, okay, talk about it, uh, express it in, in some way. But then you, you, you got, there's two points here. The one is you, you take the lift from your emotions back to your head and you, you find ways to also look at this from different perspectives. And I think that's what Jane was starting to say there, that there's also opportunity in this, that we were the matric year that did it. We were the matric year that survived the speed bumps of all speed bumps. We were the matric year that helped our teachers go online. We were the matric year that taught the world so many things about resilience. Uh, and we can be really proud of that. And then not only at a thought level, but a behavioral level, we've got some important decisions about what we do next. So we can choose to come back to school and savor every moment because we know how special it is. Uh, and we can participate in as much as we can to make up for lost time. So so I think it's a combination of, of all of those different strategies uh, and they all have value in this. I think when I hear you talking about group, like loss, it reminds me of the grieving process. Yeah. And the grieving process is one that, you know, you can be up and positive and reflective and appreciative on, on a Tuesday, but on Wednesday you sad and forlorn and disappointed. And on Thursday you just plain angry. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's to roll with each emotion. And as you say, it's like, we always talk about putting it in the palm of your hand and sitting with that feeling and not running away from it and hoping that you can outrun it because you're not going to be able to outrun it. Yeah. It's holistically approaching this like, yeah, this is definitely not how I would have chosen my matric year to be, but it's out of our hands. How can we deal with the rest of the year? How many days have we got left? Okay, cool. What can we do in those days? That's As opposed to, damn you, Corona, damn you. <laughs> which you've all wanted to say many times. <laughs> um, again, and there will be some days where it's, let it out, damn you, Corona. Damn okay. you, Corona. And there'll be some days where it's like, we don't have to write mid-year exams. Look at us go. Okay, so <laughs> it's about riding the different waves of, of this experience and, and making space for all of that, but making space for it in, I suppose, healthy and useful ways. And if you are struggling to do that on your own, which many of us do at different moments in our life. Many of us through Corona have struggled to do on our own. Mm. Don't be afraid to put up your hand and say, I need to talk about this or I need some help with this. So for your grade 12s, for any of your learners, for any of the wonderful people in your community, if you are struggling with this, with different parts of this, you, you're not alone in it. Mm -mm. Uh, and there's so much value in putting up your hand and saying, I just need to talk. I just need some help around this. Yeah. I mean, and how many I people? Yeah, strongly about that. How many people have celebrated birthdays in lockdown? How many people have lost people in lockdown? How many people have left that corporate job to go on their own and then Corona hit? There yeah. are so many stories of how untimely the sabotage on our normal. Yeah. But where do we go to from here? And we often speak about this, that we cannot allow this experience to live in a capsule of, oh my gosh, you remember that? We've got to take the reflection and the learning of not overcommitting until we are so distracted by our life that we're not connected to anything. There's so many things that have come out of this. And one of the things is disappointment. And one of the things is heartache. And one of the things is longing to be in a room with people that you love, eye to eye, heart to heart. But I have such faith that when we connect again in that room, we will never take it for granted. That's we awesome. will never take a trip to the beach and take it as a given. 
we will take it as a gift. And yeah. for me, there's a lot to be said in that. Yeah, that's perfect. That's the most perfect point in which to end anything, not to take anything else for granted. And um, that's what we, I think that's what we take away from here as well. Yeah, lots of love to you, Adam. Yeah, Thanks go so well. Catch you soon. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.